like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today for Song of the Soul, we're going to fill in the second half of the folk roots country duo, Meissner and Smith. Today we've got the pleasure of speaking with Megan Smith, and are you ever in for a treat? Like her partner Sam, Megan does theater as well as music, but when she's doing music, it's with an upright bass or mandolin and with her phenomenal vocals. She's a native of Davis, California, and that's where we join her now, by phone. Megan, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Of course, you know, I had your partner, Sam, on just a couple weeks ago. And having become familiar with your voice through the music that he shared, I knew I had to have you on. I think it's been 10 years you've been doing music together? Yeah, we're coming up on our 10-year mark next month, actually. We're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. And how are you going to celebrate it? Well, we have a show, and we're going to be in San Francisco, which is where we started playing together. We'll be doing a show with maybe a couple musicians, friends of ours will sit in, and we'll play some older songs and some newer songs, and it'll be nice because it'll be kind of near the neighborhood that we used to live in in San Francisco. It'll be a good place to celebrate everything. So you do music, and you met in the theater doing Woody Guthrie's American Song, so it was actually musical involved there. Yeah. How much of your life is theater? How much of it is music? Well, it's been changing steadily. We actually met before we did the Woody Guthrie piece. We met at a Shakespeare festival in Berkeley, but we didn't bond like we did during the, the musical we did about Woody Guthrie. There was just something about that play and that music that really, it brings everybody together. It's a really powerful piece, and Sam and I were just in a place in our lives where we were ready. There was a moment on stage where we had a little duet, and, you know, it was just the two of our voices for a couple lines, and I think it just sort of woke us both up to the possibility, and then we just sort of fell into it. So at that point, when we first started playing together, it was more for fun than anything else. We were very serious about our theater careers and being actors and being on the road. And that was what we did for maybe the first four or five years of our partnership. The theater was definitely the priority for both of us. And the music, you know, I mean, our first gig, it was so funny. We, we were in San Francisco, and Sam came and did an open mic around the corner from where I was living in San Francisco at that time at a place called Bizarre Cafe. The owner, Les, came up and said, 
you know, I, I sort of sat in with Sam on a couple of songs and sang some harmony, and he came up to us after the open mic, and he said, so when do you guys want a gig here? <laughs> and um, <laughs> so people just kept expressing interest and expressing that they enjoyed hearing us. So that was the encouragement we received right at the beginning to further develop this musical partnership that we found quite by accident. I guess it was maybe around 2008, 2009. It was kind of partially because of the economy crashing and changing, and a lot of theaters were closing at that time, and work was actually a little harder to come by, and in the theater especially. And both Sam and I had expressed to each other at different times, you know, it would be really nice if we had the time to really devote to the music and explore where we could take this. And so that was sort of a window for us, even though it was <laughs> kind of not our choice, you know, it was because we were out of work, basically, that we had the time to devote to the music. Then very quickly it became very clear that we were having a lot of fun doing the music together and that we were really enjoying the immediacy of the connection between the audience and the performer. And that's what we're hungry for. It's, it's that connection. And I love your music. Why don't you give us an example right now so other people can get as enthused as I am? <laughs> well, I guess I'll start with 15 Months, which is a song off of Seven Hour Storm, which is the newest album we have out. And 15 months, basic theme, it's someone who's at home thinking about someone who's off to the war. What connection do you or Sam have to those deployed during Iraq, Afghanistan, other wars, brothers, sisters, friends, lovers? I mean, how do you actually connect with those wars and the people there? We definitely know personally some people who've been affected by people deployed to all over the world. And But the connection with the song, the writing of the actual writing of the song was something that Sam was inspired to do because he heard, I think he heard a story, I think it was on the radio, it may have been NPR, about some of the soldiers that were over in Iraq and Afghanistan. There was a story about how important mail call and getting package, care packages and mail and letters, how important those things were to the soldiers fighting overseas. Something about a letter is so much different than anything else, getting a handwritten letter specifically. Also in that story, there's something about some soldiers, they don't have things coming from home that, you know, some soldiers don't have anybody who will write to them. Sam was thinking about that being so much more difficult, just having no support from home. And then it sort of also folded back on itself in terms of the idea of the exchange between the soldier who's off fighting the war and the family at home and what kind of story that is and how different that story is from any other story. As Sam may have talked about in his chat with you, he may have mentioned the fact that our songs are always stories. And so what this particular song turned into in terms of the story of the song was what that feels like to be thinking of the person that's off fighting in a war that you don't have any visual or emotional connection to besides the fact that they're there and they're not with you anymore. Where this song got written was at our home in Davis, where we live now. It was late, late at night. Sam was noodling around on the guitar, and I was kind of reading a book and dozing off. And I heard his guitar playing. He, he'd come up with this beautiful finger-picking pattern at the beginning of writing the song. And I was sort of falling asleep, and I had a dream that he wrote 
a beautiful song. And I woke up the next morning and I was all excited. And I said, I had this dream you wrote this beautiful song. And I don't know if it actually happened <laughs> or not. And you said, I actually did write a song last night and I was really hoping you would sing it. And that's kind of how that song came to be. It is 15 Months by Meissner and Smith. 15 months first deployment Figured he'd be back by June Just a little late to meet his baby Thinking of it now makes me swoon Thinking of it now makes me swoon I sweep the house and run my Fill my day with lists of things to do Seems like every moment's filled with thinking Of a different way to tell him I love you Different way to tell him I love you
And the danger looms above me where I lay I know it's only his for that I'm worried While I am safe and he is far away I am safe and you're so far Fifteen months by Meisner and Smith. We have Megan Smith of Meisner and Smith with us here today. The website is meisnerandsmith.com, or come via the NorthernSpiritRadio.org website. So, some heartfelt connection to people overseas in in the military, and I was kind of wondering. I grew up basically during the Vietnam War, up through high school for me. The attitude that a lot of people had in high schools, colleges, I think were largely against the war. Older generations thought it was a better idea, but of course they didn't have to get drafted at that time. Your generation hasn't had to be drafted, or at least the only kind of draft is kind of the economic draft where there's no other job, and so I'm going off to war because I can get a job. What kind of attitudes surround you? I mean, you're in Davis, California. You used to live in San Francisco. I would just have thought that was not a very pro-war place. Have people been able to keep straight the difference between attitudes about war and about the soldiers who are volunteering for those wars? Well, I mean, I can speak for myself. The area in general, I think, is pretty varied depending on where you go. I think you're right that most people in the Bay Area are against the wars and against war in general. For myself, I think the thing that I think about the most, and especially in the time we're in now, where both of these wars have gone on for so long, is the lack of attention and care given to the people who have come home from fighting these wars. And the sort of the difference between the Vietnam War and between the wars that we're talking about nowadays being that I don't think we see, we're, I think the, the experience of the everyday person who is not connected with the military is different than the experience was during the Vietnam War, specifically because of the draft and also because of the way the media covered the wars. I think it was terribly shocking during the Vietnam War to see some of what happened on the television, on the news. You know, I mean, we know people are fighting, but I think a lot of what's happening is it's gone on so long that people have become desensitized perhaps a little bit. And you hear all kinds of stories about how veterans come home and they don't have adequate health care and they don't have adequate help to restart their lives. And so I think a lot about that. I think a lot about the disconnect there and how the way the wars have been fought and the way we deal with it back home has changed drastically since the Vietnam experience. And, you know, my parents also went through that, and so did Sam's, and they know and, of course, have a lot of people around them and lost a lot of people during those wars and know a lot of people who were affected because of those wars. I think the song 15 Months is a great touchstone, perhaps just a reminder that people are affected and that people's lives are changed and that there are wars going on and that's something we all should keep aware of. 
I got the impression that Sam's folks were maybe a little bit on the hippie side or something toward that. What was your musical influence? What were your parents like? What was your home life like? I grew up in Davis as well, actually. I grew up here. Now I live here again. So it's a small college town, and my parents were, I guess you could call them hippies too, actually. We were alternative, that's for sure. I was raised a vegetarian, and that was really weird back then. (laughs) You know, my friends would come over, and it would be kind of strange not to have any meat in the house. I think people were a little surprised by that but as time's gone on it's become very in vogue which is kind of funny but um are you still trendy (laughs) i don't i don't know i i have no idea (laughs) i am still a vegetarian (laughs) i've been since 1976 oh have you really wow you can imagine how foreign it was to most people how the first thing my dad asks me when he found out i was vegetarian he says so why are you on this stupid diet anyhow. (laughs) Oh yeah, it it was a fad, right? Yeah, it's so funny. I think when I was a kid, you know, we used to go to functions and people used to try to feed us meat, you know. Oh, you don't, you don't really mean it. You're not, you don't really mean that you don't eat meat. They just, it was like they wouldn't believe that that was, that was what we were doing. But yeah, attitudes have changed since then. I think we're a little less weird than we were, especially living in Northern California. My dad's a physician and my mom stayed home with us, and she actually is incredibly active. She does a whole bunch for the city. She's involved in all kinds of advisory boards, and she knows all kinds of people here. She's a master gardener, and, you know, so they both have very active lives, and something that I think spurred my interest in music was the fact that they gave me the opportunity to take piano lessons, and I played in the orchestra, I did ballet for many years. They gave me every opportunity to try new things. I also did some sports. I did some basketball. And their music collection was a huge influence on me, too, which I know is the same for Sam. We we actually grew up on some very similar music. I was raised going to Dead concerts. I went to <laughs> at least one Grateful Dead concert every year of my life until Jerry died. I also listened to a lot of classical music that my mom really loves and grew up on a lot of Joan Baez and Judy Collins and all that stuff as well as the band and all these favorite music that Sam and I sort of immediately bonded over when we met. We both kind of separately had the experience of listening to it growing up. I hope that I remember to put on my website, there's a link to a YouTube video of you and Sam singing Paul Simon's song, America, performing that together. And, you know, when I first heard your music and I heard your harmonies and how you sang together, I said, that's beautiful in the same way that Simon and Garfunkel's music was so beautiful to me. And then I end up a couple weeks later finding this video of you singing that song. And I said, aha, I nailed it. That's exactly the the (laughs) vocal power that Simon and Garfunkel had together. Meissner and Smith do that same thing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That's High praise, indeed. That's what we aspire to. Paul Simon is a huge, huge influence on both of us. We both love his songwriting. The years that he spent with Garfunkel, of course, I memorized all of those songs when I was a young kid, you know, and I think that's part of where my ear for harmony came from as well. 
I was wondering because you do harmony and I'm not sure if Sam would be able to do harmony. I happen to love singing with my wife. I'm a so-so singer. She's a very good singer and she can sing harmonies and she loves to do that. Could Sam sing harmony with you? Oh yeah, he's got a great ear. He's kind of a, an extraordinary musician in the sense that he has a lot of really natural, like just natural ability just kind of flows out of him. He's got a great ear for harmony. He's got a great aesthetic for phrasing. And I think there's a lot of things that go into a good singer that are hard to put your finger on, you know, but Sam really has them all. He, he's very natural in his ability to sing. And I, I came to it a different way because I went to school for music, so... I actually had a lot of training. I went to University of Oregon School of Music. But when we sing together, I never feel like he's hampered by the lack of training or something. You know, he just has such a natural ability to hear those harmonies and understand those chordal relationships. And he's a lot of fun to work with. Well, give us another example of it. What's next for Song of the Soul, Megan? I thought maybe we could listen to a song called Tamil Pius. Just an everyday word maybe for you, but Tamil Pius doesn't mean anything to someone out here in Wisconsin. Tell us about Tamil Pius. Well, this is a special song for us. There's a mountain here in the Bay Area, just north of San Francisco, in Marin County. It looks over the Pacific Ocean. It's not a very tall mountain, comparatively. It's not like the Rockies, but for us around the Bay Area, it's kind of the tallest point there. And it's called Mount Tamil Pius. And it's, uh, the locals often refer, refer to it as uh, the sleeping maiden or the sleeping lady because depending on where you approach the mountain from, it often does look like a woman lying down with her hair sort of flowing out to the ocean. It's a beautiful place. So Sam wrote the song and we arranged it together. And it's very dear to both of us, especially to Sam, because he grew up kind of in the shadow of the mountain. Climbing from the ocean, she rises from the tide, beckons to the sailors looking for a guide. Her eyes shine like a lighthouse, her hair is like the wind, sends all of our ships away and pulls them back again. From the seaports of Alaska, the damp of Puget Sound, down the coast to California, San Francisco bound. Seven years hiding, a dozen on the run. Tell the truth, it breaks my heart to see what I've become. Tamil pies, Tamil pies, crouched among the clouds. Waves break on our backs, I call her name out loud. The mountain she's sitting. Listening to the sea, patient as my lover's eyes, waiting there for me. That lonesome ocean Wondering why I roam 
minds at ease. Boys are throwing liars' dice and caution to the breeze. It's gold in other mountains, oil in other sands. My mind won't be rested, Lord, until my boots touch land. Oh, 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 Ships away and pulls them back again. Those beautiful voices and instrumentation you just heard are Meissner and Smith. The song is Tamil Pius, uh, highest peak in the Marin Hills of Marin County, California. And we have here today with us for Song of the Soul, Megan Smith. This is Song of the Soul, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production on the web at northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you'll find more than eight and a half years of our programs for free listening and download. You'll find comments and connections to our guests. Please do post a comment when you visit. We love two-way communication. We also appreciate a contribution. There's a donate button on the site. Donations are important to us, but I want to especially remind you to make donations of your time and energy and money to your local community radio stations. Local community radio gives you music and news that you just get nowhere else. It's an invaluable resource. Please support them first. Again, we have here with us Megan Smith of Meissner and Smith on the web, MeissnerandSmith.com. Tamil Pius was the song. It sounds to me like... Tamil Pius and, and the hill, the mountain, the sleeping lady there, is important as a way to get away from the city as well. Is that true? Are, are you a city girl, a country girl? You were living in San Francisco. I, at one point when I was doing some work in San Francisco, I walked a full mile across without ever seeing one green thing growing. No grass, no land was there. It was all cement or buildings. I, I was a little bit stunned. Are you an indoor, outdoor, country girl, a city girl? What are you? Well, I'm pretty lucky because living here in Northern California, I don't have to choose so much because there's so much around me that I have easy access to. If I need to be out in the middle of nowhere, I can go very quickly to a place where I feel very in touch with nature. If I want to visit a downtown, buzzy downtown city, I can easily get to that too. We did used to live in San Francisco, and we actually lived out in what's called the Richmond District, which is actually close to the Pacific Ocean. It's actually kind of western San Francisco. And it's in the fog bank, you know, we're covered in fog most of the time. And we lived there for many years. And that was actually kind of a nice place to be because we were close to the beach and Golden Gate Park was about a 10-minute walk away. And Golden Gate Park is just beautiful. That's definitely some green in the middle of the city. And San Francisco has been very smart the way it's planned the city around green space. And where we live now is sort of smack dab in the middle between, it's about an hour and a half east of San Francisco, and it's about an hour and a half west of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. So 
we have kind of the best of both worlds right here. We are in the valley, and you asked me if I was a city or a country girl, and I have to say, I think I do prefer living with a garden, no matter where I live. <laughs> I don't do well if I can't grow things. So it's been extraordinary to be here in Davis because you can grow just about anything you want here. And I spend a lot of time in the garden. I think previous to this, you asked me how I relax, and that is definitely one of the things that I need to do to uh, untangle myself from anything else I'm dealing with is get out in the garden and dig <laughs> and plant. Give us some more music, Megan. Sure. Well, I thought we would listen to our song off of Seven Hour Storm called Lost and Found. Okay, lost and found. Sounds kind of prosaic. Every place has them because people leave things behind. What is lost <laughs> and found for you? Again, Sam, I think, wrote this song, but I sense that it's part of your common heritage, what's in this song. Absolutely, yes. I think what's so beautiful about the songs that Sam writes and the way that we sing them, I'm really proud of the fact that they are very personal on one level, but they also are extraordinarily open, I think. And this is one of the songs that really exemplifies that. I think for us, it has a meaning that's perhaps very close to home and personal. And, you know, we each have, I think, a time and a place in our minds, perhaps in our own lives that we go to when we sing this song. But the way the song is written, our hope is that people will derive a very personal experience of their own from it. It is Lost and Found. It's from the CD, Seven Hour Storm, by Meissner and Smith. Turned my eyes and was blinded by the sun Set my mind and broke into a run Love door hurt. 
turned my eyes and was blinded by the sun. Set my mind and broke into a run. Like the palms we scribbled in the sand. All our words wash right through our is a great place to be found after being lost. That was my experience. It is Lost and Found. It's by Meissner and Smith, and Megan Smith is with us here today for Song of the Soul. It's off their CD, Seven Hour Storm, which is your most recent CD, Megan. Let's go blithely, optimistically forward and listen to another song. (laughs) (laughs) What's next, Megan? Well, I've chosen one that I've written. This one is called Polly. As in Pollyannish. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I found a link. I found a link. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Well done. In this sense, she is actually taken from, her character is taken from a very famous song in the bluegrass tradition and in the murder ballad tradition. There's a song called Pretty Polly that I'm sure many people have heard. As you may know, in the murder ballad tradition in this country, most of those stories have to do with a jilted lover or somebody's done them wrong and end up killing them. And then, and it's almost always a cautionary tale. It's always, you know, don't murder people. That's usually what it's about. <laughs> and this one but, advocates uh, which for Which is it. great, okay. yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no. But something that Sam and I both noticed is that the overwhelming majority of people who get murdered in these murder ballads are women. And so... We started thinking about that a bit. Sam and I had this long discussion about it, saying, like, wouldn't it be interesting if you sort of flip that on its head? I actually wrote this. We recorded it in 2008, but I, I wrote it in 2006. I was playing Viola in the play Twelfth Night, in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, at the Tahoe Shakespeare Festival. And I was backstage, and I'd sort of been humming a melody all day that had been coming to me. All of a sudden, and it was it was really very close to when I was supposed to be on stage, the song sort of just came to me out of nowhere, and I sat down at my dressing table backstage, and I wrote the whole thing out. All the lyrics just kind of came to this song, Polly, and then I went on stage and 
and did the role of Viola, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's a pants role. She ends up dressing as a man and posing as a, a man. It's a great story, too, actually. But <laughs> I always wonder how much it influenced my writing of this song. You know, it's, it's a song of revenge, actually, of how Polly actually, pretty Polly gets murdered in the traditional song. And in my song, she comes back and haunts her murderer to his demise. <laughs> Another cheerful song by Meisner and Smith. (laughs) This is Polly, the lead of song in this case, by Megan Smith, my guest for Song of the Soul today. I am Polly, pretty Polly was my name. I am not that devil's flame, turned your heart to cinder. Polly, pretty Polly was my name I'm not that devil's flame Turned your heart to cinders Poor young Polly Death's just another game Fortune spins to suit my aim Madness with my sending I am Polly Pretty Polly was my name I'm not that devil's flame Turned your heart to cinders High hill up above the lights of home that night Ragged with your raging heart Prayers of mercy all were stuck up in my throat And the night grew deaf to my cry I am Polly, caught with a blood-soaked mane Battered to a faceless shame Your endless nights With a keen desperation Hands up and pleading For some kind of sweet salvation But no peace, no saving life For his soul's restless fight She was Polly, pretty Polly was her fame Lovely with a hallowed name And I so undeserving My sweet Polly Killed upon my foolish eye Walked me to the scaffold high No comfort in my ending No comfort in my ending It's from the album Poor Player and the song is Polly by Meissner and Smith, though that's one of the group's songs that you, Megan Smith, wrote both music and lyrics for. And it's such a bloodthirsty little ballad, it probably shocks your audience occasionally to have something like that coming out of your mouth. There was one time we were playing a show on the coast of Oregon somewhere. I, can't, I think it was in Yahats, Oregon. And this couple from Texas bought one of our albums as we were playing, and noticed that there was a song called Polly on there, and the husband was like, oh, her name's, my wife's name's Polly, and it's our 40th anniversary. Will you sing this song for us? <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, you know, I was like, it's not really about anything lovely. It's, you know, it's really, it's about kind of, it's about murder. He's like, doesn't matter. Just play it. I want to hear it. You know, I'll give you an extra five. He'd like toss an extra five bucks in the tip jar and all this stuff. And Sam says, <laughs> Sam says, turns to me and he goes, just mumble the words. Don't worry. They won't hear it. <laughs> it was extraordinarily funny. And they loved it. They really did. It was funny. 
So sometimes, like with Polly, you do write songs and lyrics. Your wonderful vocals are always there, of course. But what instruments do you play? Well, I play the stand-up bass, the upright bass, as some might sometimes call it, acoustic. That's my main instrument is the bass, but I also sometimes play the mandolin, which I picked up right when we were doing Woody Guthrie's American Song, The Play. So mandolin makes sense to me. I mean, you're not a giant person. You're not six foot six, and <laughs> you don't have man's hands no. and that kind of thing. I've noticed a number of women playing cello or upright bass or things like that. They, it takes bigger fingers. It takes pretty strong fingers to do that kind of thing. And sometimes it has looked to me that the upright bass was bigger than the female playing it. <laughs> Is this kind of a thing like with Polly? It's like, no, we're going to do it a different way this time. None of this, the men get all the big things. The women get a chance. <laughs> How did you get connected up with the upright bass? Well, it's funny. You know, I never thought of it as a male instrument. Maybe that's why it didn't phase me to try it. But I was 12. I was in seventh grade, so I was even smaller than I am now. But bigger than the boys. I, yeah, I was probably 4'11 back then, and I'm now, what, I'm like 5'7 now, so I'm sort of average height. But I was playing the violin, actually. And I wasn't very good at it, and I was kind of miserable. And I was in the, if you know about orchestras, the very worst place to be sitting, basically the worst players, especially in a junior high orchestra, will be sitting at the back of the second violin section, which is where I was stationed. I was just sort of drowning back there, and I, I wasn't having any fun. My teacher noticed. She noticed out of all the kids, she was a wonderful teacher, Mrs. New, and she came up to me and she said, would you like to try something different? you don't seem very happy. And I said, I really would. And she said, how about a bass? We don't have any basses this year. You want to try a bass? And I leaped at the chance. I was so desperate to stop playing violin that I leaped at it. <laughs> and it, that was it. I just fell in love with the instrument. It's so much fun to play. It's like a dance partner. You know, you're saying like how <laughs> how women, you know, when they play the bass, sometimes it, it feels like it's way bigger than them. And and it may look like that, but it really does feel like an equal thing. It, you know, you, you feel like you have somebody supporting you as well as you're playing the instrument. I'm happy to see that there are more women playing it because it, it does take strength. That's true. I had to build up a lot of arm strength and, and finger strength, and I'm still really enjoying playing it. One other thing I meant to ask you about when you were talking about your family was religious, spiritual background. Again, your parents and Sam's parents both were in the direction of hippies, right? So my preconception about hippies is that they always had to reject religion, and specifically they could be Buddhist, perhaps, but virtually anything else that wasn't from the East was really very passe, not very interesting. So what's been your religious, spiritual path? Well, that's funny. I would definitely not put Sam's parents in the hippie category for sure. They were definitely alternative. But and then and my parents, it's funny. They I would say they were hippies, but of sort of the natural denomination. I guess I don't know what word. Back to the land kind of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, growing up, I was not encouraged to wear makeup, and I wasn't allowed to pierce my ears until I was eighteen. You know, it was like, no, you, you're beautiful the way you are. That was that was the kind of hippies my parents were. And, well, um, I agree with them. I agree with them. Why would you want to pierce? <laughs> I so appreciated that from them because I think it gave me a great appreciation for, I think a lot of people can be uncomfortable, especially women can be uncomfortable in their skin and want to change things. And I mean, I'm not saying I don't dress up and wear makeup for 
our shows, of course. I actually have fun doing that because I'm a performer and that's my ritual before we go on stage. But I also don't feel uncomfortable without makeup on and without dressed up. You know, all that stuff is just adornment. And, and in terms of spirituality, you know, we never went to any church. We were actually, my grandparents on my dad's side also kind of stopped being religious specifically to one church. They they didn't go and so my dad was raised without outside church life, which for his generation was probably pretty odd. And my mom was actually raised in Church of England because she was born in England. I think they both sort of decided at different times in their lives that maybe they didn't need to go to a specific church or prescribe to a, a specific religious doctrine. So growing up, I think I did a lot of exploration myself. I actually... I have a very specific memory of coming home one day after, you know, sometime in, during my grade school years, I think maybe third grade perhaps, coming home and asking my parents about God because kids at school were talking about God, and I didn't really know what they were talking about. And my mom sort of gave me a little bit of background on religion and said, why don't you go ask your dad what he thinks? And I did, and, and my dad gave me the best answer I could have ever gotten from anybody, I think. I was so grateful for it because it's really carried me through every question I've ever had about that sort of spirituality. I asked him about it, and he said, well, some people think God is this, some people think God is that. And he sort of gave me a little bit of background on some of the other religious doctrine that were out there. And then he said, but I think that God is goodness and that it runs through everything and that you can choose to be a part of it or you can choose not to be. That sort of made sense to me in my seven-year-old mind or however old I was and it always has and I've always remembered that there is a choice that you can choose to be part of the good or you can choose not to be and I've always really tried to do my best to choose to be part of the good I don't know that I can further describe or define what the good is but I think everybody sort of knows it when they feel it and that's kind of how I choose to live my life in terms of spirituality is it's following that path well, we're meandering toward, I think, your last song. We've got time for one more. So, Megan, thank you for sharing about your spiritual path here. I think kind of the culmination of that, as far as I'm concerned, is what comes out of your mouth and off of your fingers as you're playing your music. So, one more song for your Song of the Soul. What is it? I chose my song I wrote called Wandering Fool, <laughs> which seems appropriate. The feeling of searching for oneself or one's path, perhaps. Uh, this is also one of those songs that's really morphed for me over the years. I was actually very young when I wrote this one. I think I was 27 when I wrote this one. And it was sort of out of a breakup, which could be very saccharine or trite. What I tried to do with this song was to open up the meaning a little bit further than that and dig a little deeper than that and try to present a story that could be about any relationship almost that feels a little undefined and wishing and hoping for that relationship to be further defined but not being able to force it. The song seems to describe a kind of wanderlust. You know, I'm not staying here. Yes, yeah. On the other hand, you and Sam have been together for 10 years and you're living next door to your parents. <laughs> Where'd your wanderlust go? <laughs> Did it wander off? Well, yeah, it's funny you say that. I mean, we landed here with the idea for it to be a temporary living situation. 
it turned out it was perfect. I mean, we just are so happy here. And we're so lucky because we have support next door. We can go away and be gone for weeks on end. And my parents are here to take care of our cat and water our garden. That's how we make a living is going on tour nowadays. Touring is really how how you make your living. And so we really couldn't do it without them. The nice thing is, is that when my parents go away, we can do the same for them. We take care of their animals and we water their garden as well. So it's a, it's a very symbiotic arrangement that we have here. We're also very close with Sam's parents and we're only about an hour and a half away from them. We're just lucky to have that much support that close to home. It's really comforting because we are definitely still on that path of wandering. We have no inclination of ceasing <laughs> that path anytime soon. So it's lovely to have somewhere to hang your hat when you're done. Well, it sounds like you're a wandering fool with some deep roots, and that sounds like a good combination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to end off today's Song of the Soul with one more song by Meissner and Smith. That is Sam Meissner and Megan Smith. Megan Smith having joined us today for Song of the Soul. Website, MeissnerandSmith.com. Any question, just come via the NorthernSpiritRadio.org website. You'll find the connection to them. Again, Megan, it's just so delightful to get to know you. I thank you so much, Megan, for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It was an absolute pleasure. Look on northernspiritradio.org for bonus excerpts from my interview with Megan Smith that I couldn't fit in this broadcast. The final song is Wandering Fool by Meissner and Smith. See you next week for Song of the Soul. Put that needle back on that record, babe Let's go out in the rain I'll put my suitcase back up on that shelf, babe Show you the reason that I came I'm a wandering fool
it pretty, babe Look like the sun on the Nile Cause you're my wandering fool Or didn't you know Take whatever you're taking for granted Sing, ooh, 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 let me hear you sing. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light It will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song